Greetings, Illuminators! I am Kelly Powers. And I am Brent Phillips. And you are listening to Illuminates, the podcast that each week takes a big bowl full of the pink hearts, yellow moons, and green clovers of the television film properties of the 1980s, pours our own modern-day brand of calorie-conscious 2% milk all over it, and determines if them charms are still lucky. Brent, I know you love those intros. That one's for you. That was probably the best one. Thank you. I, I like them. I do like Lucky Charms. <laughs> I also would use 2% milk with my Lucky Charms just to mitigate the fact that you're eating Lucky Charms. Yeah, yeah, it's it's key. Um, And boy, do we have a sugary bowl of cereal today, because this is a property near and dear to both of us for, for several reasons. For me, because I love the cartoon. But uh, would you like to share with the viewers at home our uh, history of Dungeons & Dragons? So, it's really fairly recent. This year, we both uh, picked up Dungeons & Dragons. I have been DMing for Kelly. You are the Dungeon Master. Yeah. I am the Dungeon Master, who's not on this TV case, which is a bummer. Mm. I wanted to see him in that art style. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we've been having a good time, and this seemed very appropriate uh, for Illuminates. Yeah. We've uh, we've been having a ball playing playing Dungeons & Dragons, and... uh, and I remember this was, I don't know, a few years ago, but I probably about three years ago, um, my son came home from school and he said to me, Dad, have you ever heard of a game called Dungeons and Dragons? And I said, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a game. Uh, you know, your Uncle Sean and I used to play that and when we were kids. And As a matter of fact, there was a really great cartoon when Daddy was a little boy. <laughs> that I absolutely loved. And I told them all about it. And by the time we were done, we were out at a at a restaurant. By the time we were done eating dinner, he said, Daddy, I have to see this cartoon. So I got on Amazon and I uh, ordered up the precious episodes that we now hold in our hands. And I uh, I showed it to him and he, he loved them. It still worked for him. He was all in. So, nice. Yeah. And he was right that, at that word choice same... Was very... Particular. It still worked for him. <laughs> well, he was... He's at the right age. Yeah. You know, he was at that sweet spot of exactly the age that it was meant to appeal to. What? The age group for this isn't 30 to 40? Well, the age group for a lot of things that this 40-plus <laughs> year old still loves dearly has expired, but oh well. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, I loved this show. Now... You had never seen this before, right? I didn't even know it existed until you told me. All right. I remember there was a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh God, yeah. Which was um, pretty bad. Yeah, and I remember thinking, why couldn't they just make a movie of the cartoon? Because <laughs> the cartoon is what I love. Now, don't get me wrong; I was to- totally aware, even when the cartoon was on originally, that this was actually a game and that this was only you know slightly related to that um and like i said i played with my brother and his friends so i was aware of that later on but um yeah i love this cartoon my other brother uh, casey and i used to watch this when we were kids we used to play this all the time pretending to be the various characters um it was awesome so wait you played dungeons and dragons but played as the dungeons and dragons the cartoon no no no. we played so with my oldest brother i played dungeons and dragons the game with his, okay. with his friends, who are all older than me. With my other brother, who was only slightly older than me, 
I pretended to be characters in this cartoon. You play Dungeons and Dragons, the animated game. series of the game. Exactly. It's like uh, Mortal Kombat, the movie, the game. Boy, that got meta. <laughs> There's a lot of levels to that. Just take a moment to unpack, folks. Um, yeah, so so let's, uh, let's take a look at it. Um, there is no pilot episode per se, and... Instead of that, what you have is the opening credits, which serves as... A prolonged opening credit scene. It's a one-minute pilot that shows before every single episode. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's, it does the job. It really sets you up. Um, it's six kids attending a carnival or an amusement park or a fair of some sort. We're not it's really a fair. Sure. Yeah, they, they mention it. Do you think this is transitory? Like, this is a traveling setup comes to town? Or is this... I I sort of got the impression that's what they were going for, except that they were getting on, like, a... Like a flume ride with had like a six person railway so, car. Like yeah. that doesn't travel city to city. There's so no way. Well, no, this is this is like it's, it's Disneyland or Carowinds or something. They like, get into not... a ride called the Dungeons and Dragons ride, and it's really more like a funhouse coaster. And I've seen those at fairs. So the funhouse is sort of this, you know, boxy construction, and you have a very short track car that rides through it, and it doesn't go. It just goes through a tunnel in a loop, and there's things that pop out at you. Okay. So think of it more in terms of that, like a funhouse ride. And they, these, these six kids get on. There's three in the front and three in the back. And I immediately identified with this grouping of children because they're all older high school kids with the exception of one of them who was clearly the kid brother that couldn't get left behind or the girl wasn't allowed to go. <laughs> yeah. You know? I want to go the, with my the friends. The Kelly of the group. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to go with my friends. We're all going to the carnival. Take your brother. Yeah, take your brother or you can't go. And that's exactly what happened all the time. I love it. Um, so, yeah, they get in the ride and they start rolling through. And at first they see these kind of harmless, I realize it's a cartoon, but I'm going to use the word anyway, cartoony versions of the creatures that they will later see in the realm that they're going to be transported into Mm -hmm. um, the orcs and the lizard people and and so forth. But they're like these really soft puffy versions of them that are not threatening. And then as the as the ride rolls further on, things get a little more real and dangerous. A realist realistic looking dragon shows up and breathes fire at one of them so that you get, you know, one of the kids, Eric says at the dumb cartoony things, give me a break. Yeah. And then as they roll through and things get a little more intense and something breathes fire at them, uh, Diana says, I don't like this. (laughs) And that's just before everything goes crazy and quite literally off the rails. As as the the cart disappears from underneath them and around them and they get sucked through a portal into hell. So I guess just the arrangement of fake D&D stuff (laughs) opened a portal... Yeah, well, it's like if just right, it sends you through. I don't know. They never really get into the into the like the lore of why this occurred. No, I mean you sort of assume it was the dungeons master dungeon masters doing after well, we'll after get, watching it all. We'll get like, to that, but yeah, it's it's not like it's not like anybody ever says this is a cursed ride that we've been using to do this for years or something like that. Right. It just kind of. 
Yeah, I don't know. Pick them out at random. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or seemingly. Is it random? Well, yeah, I'm just saying that not out. everyone that rides that ride went flying into the Dungeons and One Dragons world, I don't think. <laughs> One would hope. You know, carnies are a suspicious, untrustworthy folk, and we must always be careful. <laughs> Send your letters, folks. Um, so... You're going to get they, a lot of carny hate yeah. mail now. Oh, man. And you don't want carnies for enemies. You don't. Um, they because they're suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> and they travel everywhere. They're going to be in your town next, and they'll come back around. Um, they, they land in this other world, complete with D&D-appropriate clothing. Uh, they're, they're, their high school clothes have disappeared, and they are now dressed in appropriate attire, each one of them. A baby unicorn comes running up, terrified, and jumps into uh, little brother Bobby's arms. And this is Uni, we find out later. Uh, and we see it was running from a five-headed dragon, who we'll find out later is, in fact, Tiamat. Tiamat, special place in my heart, because Tiamat is part of the campaign we're currently playing right now. Uh, she is the god of all dragons, who... As the lore goes, really shouldn't have any trouble with 16s. But six American teens? Like, we, like she's billed as, like, if she farts, a continent breaks kind of six power. Like American teens? Yeah, six Americans. American teens. Um, well, yeah. But no, that's fine. I don't know. I wish it had just been any other dragon. The Tiamat of this series is... She's just a little Probably baby not a god the way that that Tiamat is <laughs> in the game. Um, she's just a very powerful magical creature. But anyway. Um, Tiamat attacks. But have no fear. Because a three-foot bald dude with insane party-round-the-sides hair shows up and equips them with magic weapons. He uh, he renames each character as they are equipped. And he shows up and says, Fear not, Ranger. And this is Hank, who he renames Ranger. Uh, Hank's the oldest, and he's the obvious leader of the kids. Uh, he gets Is the oldest? I kind of thought Eric was older. No, Hank is... Well, Just Hank, was Hank like and Eric are the same age, but, okay. but Hank is more leadery. So I guess that's, that's fair. Um, and he gives Hank a sweet-ass energy bow. And when I played this with my brother Casey, these this was the weapon you wanted. You wanted to be Hank with the energy bow because it was the best weapon that of all of them. I mean, there's only two good weapons and one okay one. <laughs> you either got your energy bow or you got the club. And then that like, you know, the staff is fine. Sure. Well, I mean, we'll get to each each advantage and disadvantage. <laughs> Alright. Uh but the energy bow is great because A it never runs out of arrows. All you have to do to, to knock the next arrow is pull back the bow. Also, a couple arrows from that will scare Tiamat away. That's how powerful this bow well, is. Well, the, the, the arrows vary so wildly from episode to episode in oh, what yeah. they do. Either they explode on impact. They can punch holes through mountains sometimes. They burrow through mountains. Yeah. <laughs> they form a lasso when they reach their destination and tie something up. They use them as ropes. I mean, they're just... There's no end to the use of these energy arrows. But the bow is awesome. Um, I think you really just want to keep pulling back and firing. That's the that's the main point. Um, Hank is voiced by Willie Ames. He of Charles in Charge fame. Willie Ames was Buddy on Charles in Charge. It's a little out of my uh, 
date range. I hope some Maybe of you... Maybe we should watch Charles in Charge for next time. <laughs> we totally could, because uh, Charles in Charge was big in the 80s. Uh, Scott Baio played a college student who is making his way through school by being a nanny. And he's in charge of the kids. And his best friend, Buddy, who starts the series off as just his best friend character, but as the series goes on, becomes a bubble, bumbling idiot. He just... They they liked playing with the idea that he was kind of dumb, and they start with that, and then by the end of the series, you can't understand how this creature functions. <laughs> he's just so dumb. He's just literally the dumbest person ever. But He's the uh, Joey... From Friends oh, yeah, of exactly. the group. Yeah. Exactly like that. If you see the early episodes of Friends, Joey's not that stupid. No, I mean, he's even not... St- he was as dumb as the episode required. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Also, uh, Willie Ames, quick side note, for some reason, like, renounced all his previous acting uh, experiences and turned his back on Hollywood and somehow... Like financed and starred in this show for some Christian network called Bible Man, where he was a superhero who gained his powers from the Bible or something like that. I that almost sounds blasphemous. I'm, <laughs> one would think, but I don't know. He's Maybe not, I'm missing the point. Uh, no, I think that is the point. <laughs> I think someone should have pointed that out to poor Willie Ames. Um, but hey, to each his own. Um, the next is uh, Bobby, who is renamed Barbarian. Bobby's the youngest brother, uh, the youngest of the kids. He's he's eight years old when the show starts. He does have a birthday in one episode uh, where he turns nine. Hey, um, but he's eight when the show exciting. starts, and uh, he's Sheila's little brother. He's given a club that can smash pretty much anything, anything, including splitting the ground open like a damn earthquake if you just yep. whack the ground hard enough. So it's pretty powerful. Um, Presto, Presto, oh, Presto, Presto is renamed Magician by Dungeon Master, and Presto is that nerdy kid who's into card tricks and... Yeah, who, if it was the thing, he would do real magic, but he can't, so he does card tricks. Right, right. You got a yeah. feeling he probably has a bunch of wizard figurines and stuff like that, and who knows. Um, <coughs> he gets a, a magic conical wizard's hat, which... I would argue is theoretically the best item to have. Yeah, so the the question here is, is the hat not very effective and random, or is Presto just a shitty magician? I think... Because he's he's about 50-50 on whether or not a spell is going to work out the way it's supposed to. I think the hat is only as effective as the confidence of the person using it. Okay. And that seems to... Maybe I would have given him the club then. <laughs> well, that seems to carry through to the episodes because, as you said, he has a wide margin of error in using the hat. <laughs> um, at one point, trying to make hamburgers for all of them to eat, he creates a cow. Um, Which is pretty impressive magic. A live or... cow. Yeah. Maybe at least get some milk. But, um, it, it's, but there are other moments in other episodes where they really need him to come through with some serious magic, and he does it. Yeah. Everyone's surprised that he does it, but he does do it. Occasionally. So it seems to be like if you, you know. He was back against the wall, he usually pulls it out. Yeah. Um, then there is Sheila, who's renamed Thief. 
Sheila is Bobby's big sister. She's the uh, kind of, sort of, almost, question mark, Hank's girlfriend sort of character. I don't know. They never hinted at that in any of the episodes we watched. Not the ones we watched specifically, but keep in mind, I've seen them all. <laughs> and there are many times where, you know, heads on shoulders, and oh, that was scary, hold me, Hank, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's never actually stated. They never actually kiss or anything like that. But, but you get the feeling that if he's going to date any of them, he's going to date They show people. back up and Sheila's like eight <laughs> months pregnant. Oh, no. And they're like, but you've only been gone a day. So I had a theory. <laughs> I had a theory that um, the reason the kids went to the carnival in the first place is that Hank asked Sheila out to the carnival. And she didn't want it to be a date, so she brought no, all no. her friends. <laughs> she she was like, oh, that's great. Um, but my parents say I can't date because I'm not old enough. And he says, well, don't worry. Uh, all the gang's going, right? Eric, Diana, Presto, uh, you guys could all come, right? Uh, sure, sure, Hank, whatever. Okay, they're all going. She tells her parents, and her parents say, you're not going anywhere unless you take your little brother with you. And that's how they all ended up at the carnival. That's my theory. That's yeah, pretty decent. Yeah. I think it fits the available facts. That's what you've written in all your fanfiction D&D episodes? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Eric is renamed Cavalier, and Eric is the loud-mouthed, pain-in-the-ass rich kid. Um, he's granted a shield that seems... Oh, I'm sorry. I, let me back up for just a second. I forgot to mention what Sheila uh, obtains as her, as her gift. She's given a cloak of invisibility to help her in her thieving. I never saw her actually thief anything. Yeah, it is a problem. She doesn't do a heck of a lot of thieving in this series. And it's not like she also got a dagger or anything. She can just turn invisible yeah but like in a group of six it's not like no one knows that they're there she never scouts ahead she doesn't steal stuff she does use it in various ways that are impressive but as far as i can remember she doesn't use it to steal anyone and her name is thief bad yeah (laughs) well um excuse the, the occasional cough for me folks i'm getting over a cold um, and then Eric, uh, Eric, who is renamed Cavalier, he, he gets his shield from Dungeon Master. And the shield is not only apparently unbreakable, but it is also able to extend a protective force field of varying size, depending on the circumstances required. So if the kids are being buried in an avalanche, for instance, he can hold his shield up yeah. and it'll create a little energy dome over all six of them. And keep them safe. Um, Eric is perfectly voiced by Ralph Mouth from Happy Days. Uh, Mr. Donnie, I go by Don now. Most. Donnie Most. If you look him, look him up on IMDb, he's now Don Most. Um, but yeah. He doesn't want to be associated with... He was Ralph Mouth in Happy Days. time is Donnie. And uh, I love his voice for this character. He's, yeah, he did a great job. He's great at this. He's very just, unlikable. Very unlikable, very annoying. Um, he's the guy in the opening intro, like, give me a break. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, Diana, who's renamed Acrobat. Quick side note, Brent, you are yourself a dungeon master. Yeah. Is acrobat a class of being that you can be in Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, not in 5th edition, which is what we play. 
assuming this is like 1.0 or AD&D or something like maybe I mean an acrobat would have been so this was it is that's right for folding into thief like ah this was 83 when they started so maybe it's a thing yeah. um we probably could have looked that up very well, easily. Well, we can, we'll have to have the, the boys at the lab take a look at that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, get the Illuminati's lab on that. All right, boys. Look that up. While Kelly continues. Uh, Diana is the athletic one in the group. Um, she's the only non-Caucasian. Um, she is... Hey, man, at least they have one. Yeah. She is sometimes sort of the third in an almost love triangle with Hank and Sheila. Where there's a couple moments that Hank almost has with... Diana, but then Sheila shows up. It's like, hey, what you guys doing? Aww. Nothing. And uh, she's given a collapsible staff. It's basically a stick. <coughs> it's a stick about six inches long, and it can stretch to go anywhere from fighting bow staff size to becoming a full-on uh, pole vault kind of thing, depending on what you need it for. And she, as the acrobat, uses it to pole vault and to fight with a staff and whatever. She also sometimes throws it in a twirl, and then it, you know, it twirls through the air and bounces off things, and she can use it as sort of like a, almost like a batarang kind of thing. Uh, so the boys are getting back to me, and uh, it's a little unclear. As far back as... Inconclusive. 3.5 edition Thief Acrobat was a class. Okay. Um, so that does sound like they were joined at some point. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, it's a, it's a dumb class. Just make them a thief. All right. Well, what can we do? Uh, she might, she is also sort of a proto monk. Hmm. Okay. A lot of what she does in the show are things that now a monk class would do. Yeah. Except for the extendo staff, like that's not a thing, but like, you know. Using I a love my grow stick. <laughs> um, the kids use their new weapons to fend off this five-headed dragon while they climb up a cliff looking for safety, but only find at the top of the cliff, Venger, who Dungeon Master describes as the force of evil. Venger is tall, dressed in these blood-red clothes with one giant bull's horn growing out of one side of his head. Uh, Who knows what happened to that other horn? I don't know. Well, it's not like there's a broken half on the other side. <coughs> it's just, just asymmetrical. Yeah. He's just got one horn. Um, he has vampire fangs. He's got these giant black bat wings off his shoulders that he can also wrap around himself like a shawl when he's not fully wing extended. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Um, for some reason, rather than use those wings just to fly around, he <laughs> rides a black demonic horse. Uh, the horse has no wings, and yet he flies on the horse. So I have to assume that Venger is gripping the horse tightly with his legs and thigh muscles. <laughs> he's just carrying it around. And he's flying the two of them up into the air that way, um, which is a great... There's really visual. no other answer. Yeah, it's a beautiful visual, but it's got to be hard on his thigh muscles. Uh, yeah, and if he ever lets go, that horse is going to have a bad day. That's right. Um, but he loves that horse. So he does I love that horse. It. 
I have a great idea for that horse, by the way. Uh, I'll get to that later. Um, he tries to blast the kids, and uh, Eric shield deflects it to hit the dragon instead. And Vendor has to flee the dragon, who is now after him. So, threat narrowly averted. Venger, by the way, is voiced by Peter Cullen. Does that name sound familiar? It does. I never would have guessed that. Mr. Optimus Prime. In every version of Optimus Prime, in every <laughs> single cartoon or movie that's ever been made. He was also Xandar on G.I. Joe. He was also the narrator from the opening crawl in Voltron. Um, but yeah, that's him. And I thought it was interesting to have... Peter Cullen, who voiced Optimus, who is, like, so... He's just the ultimate good guy leader, Optimus yeah. Prime. He's also the force of evil. He's the polar opposite. Um, and then the little dude who has given him these weapons announces himself as Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons! Cue <laughs> credits. <laughs> And that's the setup. And we are off to whatever episode comes next. Um, so th that's that's basically what they show at the beginning of every single episode. That's your pilot. It's, it runs exactly one minute. I, I checked. And it only took us 27 to get through it. Yeah. So this, the rest of this <laughs> is going to fly through it. So we watched several episodes. We're not going to get into a, a complete scene-by-scene -scene breakdown for all of them. We don't need to. But I wanted to cover the the characters' breakdown because that is the crux of this series. Um, just out of curiosity, yeah. If you were playing one of these characters, who would you want to be? Who would I want to be in in a game? In their abilities or in their character? Both. I mean, Hank's the obvious. I win. He's the square-jawed hero. But, like, in general, I would probably want to be the wizard. So, you know who I'd really want to be? Now, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Hank. Yeah. Or Bobby. Because, like you said, you want the club or you want the the bow. And I also felt, well, Bobby's a kid like me. Yeah. Perfect. But now, I'd, I'd want to be Eric. I'd want to be the dick rich kid. <laughs> I really would. I think I'd have more fun playing Eric than anything else. If you were like playing, if you were RPing as yes. Eric in yes. D and D, yes, that 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 would be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe Uni. <laughs> you know, <laughs> God, Uni, Uni again is part of that. We need a sidekick animal, which was just such a weird concept because like they don't even use him; he's just there. He... There's one episode where he like uses his horn to help out, just like a little bit, but like, well. There's there's uh, some episodes, you didn't watch these particular ones, but you learn that Yumi has a power. He There's something he can do. Uh, all unicorns can do this, apparently. They can use their horns to teleport. Wow, that would have come in handy. Yumi can't do it very well because Yumi is a baby. Okay. So he, at first, does it by accident. And then in other episodes, he's able to do it a little bit, but not perfectly. Like, he can almost get to where he's trying to teleport to, but not quite. Okay. And he's adorable. He's got that little goat noise. You're like, as far as, like, sidekick animals people go, like, he's totally fine. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't, did not want him to die. I didn't check this, 
Um, I could have run this by the boys at the lab, but I forgot to. But I am virtually certain uh, that whoever is voicing Uni is also the guy who did the voice of Slimer in the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm virtually That's certain. That's quite an uh, IMD, pro- IMD profile he must have. Prove me wrong! Uh, we begin with the first episode of the series, which is, again, we start the stories already in progress. But this is the actual first episode aired. It's called The Night of No Tomorrow. And it's not a great one, but it is the first one. Uh, the kids are just wandering around, basically trying to find their way home. They're attacked by, again, Tiamat, the dragon, who apparently doesn't show up a lot, but showed up in the lo- a lot in the ones that we happened to watch. Right, yeah. He seemed like an ever-present force. But he's not really there a, a lot more than the ones we happened to watch, I guess. But He's in this... Uh, she, sorry. Tiamat is a she. Tiamat shows up in this one, and... They trick Tiamat into a cave, and then they trap her inside with using Bobby's club, and they knock a boulder down in front of the cave to seal off the entrance and save themselves. Dungeon Master shows up from stepping out from behind a rock like he does in every single episode. So, sorry to interrupt, but the boys have gotten back about this, uh, about Uni's actor, Frank Walker. Frank Walker has been working consistently for the past... 40 fucking years, oh, wow. voicing, like, hundreds of things a year. Boys, boys, So give me uh, the answer. Did he do Slimer in the real Ghostbusters? I'm scrolling, man. <laughs> it's just scrolling and scrolling is what they say to me. <laughs> it's what the it's research what the boys, boys have back. said. He is Slimer. He is also Damn. Ray Stans, Stay Puffed, the Mayor, Santa Claus. He is, like, everything in the show. Damn, I am good. All, all these guys had multiple... I ought to, you know, try to You just heard that voice, heard that little unicorn, and you're like, you know what, that sounds sounds like Slimer. That sounds just like Slimer. Yep. And Ray Stance. I really ought to try to do a podcast that features this sort of information. (laughs) Um, Dungeon Master strolls up from behind a rock like he does in every episode, and he says, he, he, he starts to say one of his famous riddles. And what got me right here is that Eric immediately says, I'm sick of your riddles. (laughs) <laughs> so this is the first episode but apparently they've already had a number of adventures where this same scenario has played itself out yeah um there's a couple of good humor moments along this episode that i enjoyed again the previously mentioned moment where presto produces a cow instead of hamburgers yeah that's pretty good was pretty sweet um they find merlin's castle merlin just happens to be around like not a D character as no. far as i understand they're walking in the road there's a sign that says this literally says this way to merlin's castle and points in a direction a uh, ladder comes down from the clouds and they go climbing up to meet merlin and there's a little bit of a uh, presto shaming going on where eric is like finally a real wizard <laughs> that's so mean you know presto's confidence is pretty low to begin with um they go up to the castle and for some inexplicable reason you said this as we were watching it why is the winch to lower the drawbridge on the outside of the castle? But sure enough, it is. And Diana just cranks the winch as any invading marauder could. And they let themselves in. Merlin's there stroking a rabbit. They even say, he even says, and this is my hair. Well, he says that a little later. It's not a rabbit. It's a hair. He says it's like, good lord. As soon as you meet him and you're like, oh, come on, guys. Just... 
don't say that part and let the kids be like, oh, right, that's all Sawa hair. I think I vaguely recall being confused by this as a child the first time I saw it because I did not, I never knew what a hair, I'd never heard of a hair before. So I was like, it's a rabbit, what's the big deal? They need that part after the cartoon where, like, the real life person comes and says, like, so, kids, what we learned today in this episode is if you a like rabbit to, is also a hare. If you'd like to learn more about rabbits and hares, go to your local library. <laughs> um, the more you know. Tiamat, yeah. <laughs> Tiamat uh, attacks at Merlin's castle, and the kids help Merlin to trap her in a sort of dungeon with a big trap door that they can bolt shut. Presto agrees to stay with Merlin forever and be his apprentice. Like that. It's literally like that. He, he Merlin tells him, I could teach you everything I know, young magician, but you have to stay here for the rest of your life. And he says, okay. <laughs> now, granted... Like, you can't go home. This is just your life now. I was wondering, like, what is the thought that's going through? Was he staying because he was hoping to learn enough to help his friends go no, home? because he can't leave. Well, I mean, maybe he could send them home. That's what I mean. Was he hoping to learn enough magic that he could send them home? I mean, that's that's essentially what he does almost immediately. Right, but it seems like later... Well, we'll get to it. But it seems like okay. when he gets that idea, it just occurred to him. Like, oh! But anyway, here we go. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, the kids reluctantly leave Presto behind at the castle and continue on to the village of Helix that was their destination. But they do seem pretty bummed out and feeling guilty about making fun of Presto all the time and sort of chasing him away to stay with this... Creepy old man. Stranger danger man in the castle <laughs> in the sky. Um, but oh well. The, uh, Merlin is back in the castle and he tells Presto, you know, we're going to have to deal with Tiamat in the dungeon at some point. Presto says, what, how could we possibly deal with him? And Merlin says, well, the answer to all problems are in this book that he has on a pedestal. <laughs> I'm going to go hit the head. Yeah. You read this book. Literally. <laughs> He doesn't say I'm going to go hit the head, but he does like, all right, I'll be right back. But all of life's questions can be answered in this book. Keep stirring that pot. I'll be right back. <laughs> and sure. And that is when Presto goes, all answers. I could find a way for the guys to get home. Which is really endearing because Presto is, wants to find a way to get them home. You know, he yeah. wants to go home. But it's his first instinct is I can help my friends, which is nice. Good kid. Um, he's a good kid. He's a nerdy, good, sweet dork. Um, but we find once he casts the spell from the book that should send his friends home, uh, that Merlin has in fact switched the spell so that Presto would use his good magic to release the dragons that had previously plagued this village of Helix. And that had only been fought off by the real Merlin who had sealed them away and only good magic could undo the spell. Like a thousand years ago. Like a something. thousand years ago. And this is an imposter Merlin. Um, so that leads me to believe that Presto is actually has more magic, raw magic power than Vinger. Or, or was it just that it had to be good it magic? It had to be good magic. Only good magic could undo the spell because it was good magic that enacted the spell to begin with. Okay. That was what Venger says. Oh, by the way, folks. Magic is good or bad. Well, also, by the it's way, folks. It's not how you use it. Merlin turns out to be Venger. I know you were all surprised by that. <laughs> Spoiler! He he turns into Venger. It's actually kind of a uh, cool transformation sequence. He goes, Merlin died a thousand years ago, boy. And then he goes, you know me as 
Vengeance! And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, evil Optimus, please don't kill me. <laughs> Autobots roll out. <laughs> roll out for destruction. Um, the kids flee the town that is now being attacked by all this dragon hordes. And they go back to the castle hoping to find Presto and get some help from Merlin. But Venger's there. He demands the rest of their weapons. That's what Venger is after in all these episodes. He wants their weapons. He thinks Do you know if, why? I well, mean, he, they're cool. He seems to think if he can add the power of these weapons to his own, he'll be unchallenged and he can take over the entire realm. It's possible. Um, how do you add the power exactly? Hold them? <laughs> like in a big... Awkward. You clump. throw three of them away. Tie you take the bow yourself? and the club. I don't know how it's supposed to work. And then the invisible cape, and so he's just invisible, shooting arrows and shit. Or maybe everywhere. he can just siphon off the enemy. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Who knows? Um. Anyway, he demands their weapons. They defeat Venger by releasing the one thing that he's afraid of: Tiamat the dragon, which they know, but we never learned. They just know it. Yeah, What's yeah. the one thing he's afraid of? Tiamat the dragon. Really? When did we it's find vaguely that? hinted at in the in the, in opening the intro, crawl? I sure. guess. I suppose that's true. Uh, Presto successfully recasts Merlin's spell to imprison the Horde and save the town. And that's another great instance of Presto being the guy who comes through in the clutch with the really serious magic spells yeah. for no particular reason. But then when it's just not that important, he screws it up. So, oh well. Uh, Dungeon Master shows up. Returns Presto's hat to him, the end. Oh, wait. They need to ride horses back into town, and they only have five horses, so Eric rides the cow. <laughs> Which was a good callback to that joke. I like it. Um, Best joke of the show. Next, we take a look at a season two episode. Things got a lot better. That episode was pretty eh, hit or miss. I didn't, I didn't really think it was a great episode. This next one, City at the Edge of Midnight, got... I think it was up a notch, or maybe two notches. Well, so <coughs> chronologically, how we watched him, we watched the um, the first one that I that I saw that I thought was good was the one about the like dragon graveyard. Yes, that's. We'll talk about that one next. That happens chronologically after this. One. But I think that is better than this. Well, that's the thing. This is chronologically next uh, of the ones that we. Did watch. Oh, oh, okay, I get it. And it's a couple notches better. And then by the time we get to the Dragon's Graveyard, it's a magnitude of improvement. But anyway, here we are, Season 2, the edge of City at the Edge of Midnight, and this one has a great opening that I remember being really blown away by as a kid because it opens back in the real world. Uh, you know, America, not the realm. Earth. Yes. Yeah. And we're at some kid's house. <coughs> this little boy we will later learn is Jimmy. Hold on just a second. Sure. I'm going to spank these cats. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. Hey, they love Dungeons and Dragons. They love, like, just making noise around podcasts, apparently. Come on, guys. Well, who doesn't? Alright, we're still recording. Alright. Um, so, yeah, we, we open up in Jimmy's house. It's, we see on the clock, uh, a minute to midnight. Jimmy's sleeping in bed in his room. Uh, I love the little nod where you see on Jimmy's dresser are a couple of Dungeons and Dragons figurines. Yeah, I thought that was going to be like, wait, is this all a dream of Jimmy's? Ooh, like Saint, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like Saint Elsewhere. It's all in the kid's head. Um, but I like that. Ooh, 
Because one of them sort of looked like Vinger. Because at the end he says that this is all a dream. Maybe it really, really is. Could be, Brent. Da, da, da. Okay, so... He would know for sure when he comes back. Because his dad was like holding on so to wait, his arm wait, like... Wait. No! So Jimmy, Jimmy's asleep in bed. And a glowing light comes up from under his bed. And he gets sucked under his bed. This is every kid's worst terror, by the way. Being alone in your bedroom and the monster under your bed pulls you into hell. Uh, he screams for his dad and his dad comes running in and says, Jimmy... And, you know, usually what happens in this scenario, what I would have expected... Is Jimmy gets sucked away, the and by the time the dad opens the door, he's like, "On, he's like, Jimmy, where are you?" Yeah, but oh no, no, he sees it happen, grabs his arm, is trying to pull him back, and then he gets sucked in anyway, and then he like <laughs> throws the bed up to look underneath, and it's gone, and he's terrified. So it's like if he does come back, the dad's gonna be like, "Hey, what? that wasn't a dream. You just fucking disappeared into the floor." But man. not only does he disappear, and the dad is freaked out. The camera then pulls back. Oh out yeah, the, the house, police and the cops show up. Cut. Yeah. And then we're into the Forgotten Realms. Or, you know, the realms. Whatever. <laughs> I, don't think they, I don't think they were forgotten. They haven't been point. forgotten yet. People still remember the realms at this point. Um, but that was a strong opening. Anyway. Sorry. Thanks, Dad. Uh, Dungeon Master sends the kids to look for the city at the edge of midnight. Doesn't really tell them... A lot of details, but he does tell them that there are children who are trapped there that need saving. Even more lost than they are. Children, children who are even more lost than you are. Remember that one. Yeah. This also will come into play in the final unaired script. So I read that before I saw this. You're going to have to explain okay. that one. Okay, I, I will. Um, the kids get attacked by monsters but are saved by... A Sala from Indiana Jones wannabe, <laughs> yeah. uh, who has a sweet weapon. It's a sonic scimitar. And Brent, yeah. if at any point during our Dungeons and Dragons game you want to introduce a sonic scimitar into the mix, yeah, we'll do that. I'm not saying I have to have it, but if one of our party could come across a sonic scimitar, that is a sweet weapon. Basically. This guy raises his scimitar into the air, and if he bangs it on the ground, it starts vibrating like a bell, like, like a gong, mm-hmm. and it creates a wave of vibrations that shoot out from it and blast things with sonic vibrations. It's awesome. I remember seeing this episode and saying, I want that sword. I'm making a note for sonic scimitar. Excellent. I also like the... Like, he has to bang it on a hard surface, so you really got to think about where you are. Absolutely. Great item. Great item. Really cool. Sonic Scimitar. Score. Um, This is Ramud. You have to roll your tongues when you say Ramud. (laughs) Uh, He is a caravan merchant, so he says. Uh, And he, he saves the kids from the monsters. He's a really nice, gregarious sort of guy. He invites them back to his house. Uh, Not house. Sorry, camp. He's a caravan merchant camel slash elephant hybrids and apparently the key to kicking these things into high gear is to use the keyword katrash <laughs> eric always having problems with the things he has to ride can't quite make this sound and uh, it's comical he he finally sort of rolls the r's and gets the thing going um ramud admits that his own daughter disappeared a while back uh they uh, they're 
you know, they're upset by by that news. They want to help him. He says, yeah, there's not really much we can do about it. I know where she is. I just can't get to her. Yeah. But doesn't really go into more details. Uh, at midnight, they're all asleep in the tent. And at this point, we find out that the monster that comes under children's beds and sucks them into the portal, he doesn't need a bed. Any sleeping surface will do. Yeah, he can do it anywhere. Bobby's in a sleeping bag. He's, he's just on the ground with a blanket over him. And suddenly the ground under his blanket glows that familiar red and he gets sucked on in. <coughs> and Bobby's gone. But when he's getting taken, Ramud pulls out his sonic scimitar and sees this demon creature that has risen to grab Bobby and says, It is him! I see him at last! And he explains after the demon disappears with Bobby that this was also what happened to his daughter Aisha, uh, stolen by the beast with no name, which he then proceeds to tell them is named the Nightwalker. <laughs> well, you know, he says the beast is stolen by the beast with no name. He's only called the Nightwalker. And I thought, wouldn't that just be his name? Not his name. I mean, his name's like Roger or something. <laughs> you could just but say, they don't know that. You could just say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. You didn't bother to find out, did you? Um, yeah, so Eric is, at this point, strangely brave and and, and heroic. Um, I think just because he... Excuse us, folks, we have cat interference. Um, I think just because he really likes the, uh, the guy, Ramud. He's just really taken with this father figure who's helping them. Not because he has to, just because he wants to. He needs a dad. Eric needs a dad big time. You you hear through little bits of dialogue in various episodes, including the ones that we watched, that Eric is a rich kid. He says, oh, I'd give anything for my dad's limo right about now. Yeah. But he also lets slip in other dialogue. I'd also give anything for my dad. Well, no. Not pay even attention that. to me. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> because they say, boy, Ramud's the next best thing to having a real dad. And Eric says, are you kidding me? He's way better than my dad ever was. <laughs> yeah. So you get the feeling Eric had a lot of money. But he didn't have a lot of love. <laughs> do, 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 do. The more you know. Spend time with your kids. That's right. That's why I have no money and love my children. There you go. Um, but he's strangely brave here uh, for whatever his reasons. He demands they all combine their powers to reopen the portal and go after Bobby and Aicha, which, which somehow they all know how to do instinctively without even discussing it. Duh. Just combine them. It's it's weird. Like, Diana stretches out her staff. Um, Ramud hits it with his sword, which causes the sonic vibrations to fire at the portal. Hank fires off a couple of energy bow shots. <coughs> um, I think... I think Presto sends some magic from his hat at her or something like that. And To be fair, they did something sort of like this... Uh... Maybe it's the Hall of Bones episode that wasn't very good, but like they did this sort of thing where they were trapped. That's how they get to the dragon's graveyard is they combine. Them. Oh, okay. Yeah. They yeah. sort of did that again. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't talk about like, we know what exactly how this happens and why it works. Anyway, they use it to open up a portal and they go right it in. It works. It works. It's, it's, it leads them right to the city at the edge of midnight. This the epitomous city. Uh, they immediately get attacked by these lizard-like demons with the worst god-awful sound effects. And it, did you hear the sound effects of the lizard demons that were attacking them? I did. 
Can great. I try my best to reproduce? Yeah, I think you have to. All right. It sounded something like this. <laughs> right? Something along those lines. Perfect. Over and over and over again. And I thought, what was the direction in the sound booth at this point? Because somebody's having a seizure or something. It was weird choices. Um, but they all attack, and at first they're going to fight them off, but Sheila makes the excellent point, um, don't we want them to capture us and take us to where the kids are? And is like, oh, sure, good thinking. But they capture them and like leave them with other <coughs> weapons. Like, Oh, yeah. Terrible capturing. Yeah. They don't think to disarm anybody. Um, they take them to the kids. And you see that there are all these slave kids in this giant clock tower in the center of the city. And what the slave kids are being employed for is they are stopping up the clockworks with ropes pulling back on cogs, with giant pieces of wood being hammered into the mechanisms to wedge shut things that can't turn, mm-hmm. all to keep the clock from moving, from ticking towards midnight. Um, and this is what all the kids who have been stolen are being put to work to. Uh, the night so time. I don't I don't know if I missed it or I like glazed over a little bit at this point. But why is why is he only abducting kids? No, they don't say. Okay, point two. Why is he stopping time? They don't say. Okay, got it. Okay, I thought I missed no. it. <laughs> well, I will I will say that they they obviously make plain that if the clock in the city at the edge of midnight ever actually strikes midnight, then the whole city will come apart and the Nightwalker will lose his power and be destroyed. But they never explain why that is. It's a really specific situation. Yeah. yeah. It's just the case. But, you know. You know, that happens. You gotta take these things as they come. We're living in crazy times. <laughs> it's the realm. It's China. I, I don't know. It honestly feels really Doctor Who. Like, it's that sort of premise where it's just like, Sure, I guess somehow this land got into this situation and they're abducting kids to solve that problem. Okay. Forget it, Louie. It's Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Nightwalker and his hordes attack, but the kids in Ramud use their weapons to smash all the stoppers holding the clock back from striking midnight. They find Bobby, and I love the moment when they find Bobby because he's working with the rest of the slaves. And he hears them coming. And at first he says, Hank, Uni. And then when he sees Sheila, he goes, Sheila! And he's so overjoyed to see his sister. And that's the one that really means everything to him. And it's a sweet moment. Um, the clock strikes midnight because of their, their efforts. And all the child slaves begin to be transported magically back to their homes as the Nightwalker shrivels and dies, screaming in agony. It's pretty boss. Um, but wait, just before all the children disappear, <laughs> we get to meet Jimmy Whitaker, that same Jimmy who disappeared in the beginning of the episode. Jimmy Whitaker was apparently the lost seventh character of this cast. <laughs> Jimmy Whitaker is the one kid who couldn't go to the fair because he had homework. Now, I don't know why Jimmy had homework and none of the others had homework, but Jimmy did. He, he had been procrastinating. I guess. Maybe it was, it was like Sunday night. He could have done it beforehand. Maybe it was like a project that he was supposed to have been working on for a while. There you go. Um, 
But they say, Jimmy, hey, tell our parents that we're okay, that we're going to come home as soon as we can find a portal that leads there. And Jimmy's just like, what? This is a dream. I just saw the boogeyman. <laughs> this is Sunday night. You guys went to the fair without me because I couldn't go because I had homework. And now it's Sunday night, uh, later that same night. So we find out that although it's been months for the kids, back on Earth, it's only later that same night. It's midnight on the night that they left. No one even knows they're missing. Which is a neat detail, but like it's not really revisited or important. Maybe it could have been if we had more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they ever went home, I guess. And I admire the writers setting up things like that to pay off later. There were several things that they set off to set up to pay off later. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'll, I'll touch on just two. But um, yeah. Uh, so Jimmy disappears thinking this is just another dream. And whatever. I'll see you guys at school on Monday. You can Until show- he wakes up in the middle of a crime scene. You can show me your card tricks, Presto. And he disappears because he's presumably going back to home. But you're right. Waking up in his bed with his father scared out of his mind talking to cops. I just hope there aren't any cops standing where the bed were or they'll get fused. Oh, good lord. <laughs> or does he go prove the existence of magic? First of all, let's just take a moment to admire how quickly those cops showed up. This town. Oh, they were ready to go. This town is dialed in on crime. Because they were just across the street eating some donuts. They just happened to be. Nobody there. even called them. And as soon as the child disappeared, they pulled up to the house. Uh, but anyway, I'm wondering if maybe when Jimmy goes back, he wakes up back in the bed before he, or, or like at the moment that he was going to disappear. I don't know. We will never know. We will never know. Because we never get back there to find out. I like to think he's going to go back and get in a total shitload of trouble. We also don't know how long he was in the City of Midnight. So clearly time's a little bit different there. It's true. I hadn't thought of that. He could have been personal time been gone. But but then it couldn't have been that long or he would have realized it wasn't a dream. He was still thinking, I'm not worried because this is all part of a dream. Okay, that's fair. Alright. Um Ramud I'm sorry. Ramud's daughter. Roll that R man. Aisha shows up back at Ramud's caravan. And Ramud is revealed by Dungeon Master to be actually the king of a vast land to the east. He is not a caravan leader at all. It's just the disguise he used to go look for his daughter after she disappeared. Um, Aisha has, I swear to you, the strangest voice in all of cartoon history. (laughs) She has one line in this episode. She gives a small doll to Sheila. And, I don't know, maybe... Maybe we could pull this audio for the for the folks at home. We'll find it. She says, this is for you, Sheila, <laughs> for always. <laughs> I, I heard her say it. I said, damn you, creepy. This is for you, Sheila, for always. Uh, She's was Venger all along. Burn that doll. <laughs> Do not keep the doll, Sheila. Good God. Um, and then the kids have to make a decision because Ramud really would take care of them for the rest of their lives. He's a king and he's like, you are all my children. I love you. Yeah. But they decide to keep looking for a way home and they leave. Um, Fiend. I mean, how do they know the way home is not in a life of luxury in the East? 
<laughs> Home is a state of mind, and That's your right. state of mind can be pretty sweet in royalty. Um, the next episode is, as you were saying, by far the best episode we watched. This is The Dragon's Graveyard uh, by writer Michael Reeves. It's a fan favorite. It's what most of the fandom for this series loves about the series is this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, for good reason. Um, it it really delivers on quite a few awesome things. Um, we open with the kids fighting an ice giant, guarding another possible portal. This is number portal number 537 that they've investigated, <laughs> trying to get out of this damn place. But they even see the carnival through it. Oh yeah, like, it this, opens up this and is they can a see functional it. portal. It would have worked. It's about 30 feet in front of them and they can see through the damn thing and they run for it. Um, Shadow Demon observes them uh, as they're fighting off this ice giant that's guarding it. And Shadow Demon, we haven't talked about him before. We saw him in a couple episodes that we watched. Shadow Demon's just Bender's right-hand man. He's he's, he's there. He's, yeah, he's literally a shadow with bat wings. Well, with the shadow of bat wings. Yeah. And he he can meld into shadows and travel through shadows to any other place that has shadows. So he basically teleports through shadows. Which is pretty sweet. He's like you do. Vendor's spy. He spies on the kids periodically, tells Vendor what they're up to. He sees them about to hit this portal and leaves to tell Vendor what's going down. Um, the kids beat the giant. The portal opens to show them home. Uh, there's the fairgrounds, but before they run into it, energy blasts blow the thing up, and there is Vendor <laughs> saying, ha ha. Oh, they escape. Avengers attack, but damn, they are dejected. And there's I, not even... It felt like a... Um, did you watch Samurai Jack? Yeah. It was a very Samurai Jack moment. Very like, Maybe, maybe... No. <laughs> and there's not even... Like, most... Not only this cartoon, but all 80s cartoons. Most of them never stop with the background music. Mm-hmm. There's no music in this part after the after the battle. It's dead quiet except them shuffling their feet with their heads hanging down as they walk out of this. What yeah, used you, to be a you really feel that they've been there for months or years yeah. and like they are ready to they go home. They are so man. over this damn place. Yeah. Um, and, and Bobby actually has a breakdown. It's interesting. He's, he's the barbarian. He's always the this tough, scrappy one who wants to get in there and smash things with his club. Eric says some... But he's also an eight slash nine year old. Yeah. Yeah. Eric says some careless, callous remark that Eric always does. And Bobby's about to belt him with his club. And Eric's like, geez, sorry. And and Bobby just, instead of raising the club to hit him, drops the club, sits down, and just starts crying and says, Sheila, I want to go home. And you're like, aw, I'm sorry, Bobby. Don't <laughs> cry. It'll be all right. Maybe. But it won't be. No. It won't ever be all right. Um, and that is when Eric says, you know, we ought to do something about that Avenger guy. Uh, take care of him once and for all. And Hank says, you know what? You're right. You're damn right. We need to kill Avenger. And parents everywhere went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yep. They decide to go find Tiamat. Because um, it's the one thing that can hurt Avenger. And somehow find a way to use her to kill Venger and take care of him once and for all because they are done playing. It's time for the kids to become men and women. 
Gummers. And the best thing is that Dungeon Master shows up thinking this is any one of the other episodes. Yeah. No one told Dungeon like, Master. Hey, kids, I need that, you to get to this. Shut up. No one <laughs> told him that this, that things have changed. Because he shows up and he says, I am sorry, young ones, that your quest has met with failure this time. Perhaps you'll have better luck in the future. But now the Duke of Darkness has taken over the land of... And Hank says, no. <laughs> no Duke of Darkness. We're not doing any of this. He says, uh... Only two things I want to hear from you. How do we find Tiamat, and how do we use Tiamat to kill Bender? And Dungeon Master's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> uh, the kids are just not having it. And That's not the adventure he wrote for tonight. <laughs> yes, He's I'm going to have to wing I'm this sorry, one. sorry, <laughs> yeah. I really plotted out our whole other campaign. You know his pain. You're like, all friends. these pages of work, fine, let's just throw it away. That is a valid DM <laughs> occupational hazard. Brent, you can you told me that in our I think maybe it was our second night of the of the initial campaign, we went so off the rails of what you had scripted that you never scripted so far ahead ever again. Nope. Because we just did not do anything we were supposed to. You guys have uh stayed true. I never do more than uh, one session in advance and <laughs> it has paid off. Ah, oh, but it's so much fun. Um, so I'm like, oh I think after this they'll probably do this. Like, nope, they nope. killed them. They can't do that. <laughs> She bit that child and turned her into a werebear. Yep, that's what happened. Okay, moving on. Oh, she licked that blood. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> these are all hilarious inside references, folks. Um, so Dungeon Master very reluctantly and sadly tells them that Tiamat lives in the dragon's graveyard, the the place where all dragons go to die is where Tiamat lives. It's the very place where their magic weapons came from. Which is a really interesting detail that doesn't really get expounded upon, but, you know, there are other weapons in the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to those, but why has Vinger never gone there? To, if, like, if these are just some of the weapons that are in the he's graveyard. He's never gone there because it's the one place he can be defeated. I guess, he man. that place like the plague, and that's why he wants these weapons so badly. Remember that time he had Tiamat trapped in, in the basement? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was the time you should have gone to the dragon's graveyard. But this is also kind of a callback to another episode that we watched, which was called The Hall of Bones. In that episode, the kids' weapons had lost their charge, and they needed to be recharged. The way they did it was they went to this place called The Hall of Bones, and they put all their weapons inside a giant dragon's skull. Yeah. Which recharged them. So there's something to do with dead dragons. Dragon power, yeah. Yeah, that, that is the source of all this magic. Anyway... That's uh, that's where Tiamat lives. That's where they'll find her. As to how to get Tiamat to help you, and Hank says, no riddles. Give me a straight answer. And Dungeon Master throws up his arms and says, ask her. <laughs> she might help you. She might not. I don't know. And then he says, may I go now? Because <laughs> Dungeon Master is clearly disappointed in all of them and also has had enough. Yeah. Exit Dungeon Master. Um, Diana, uh, I'm sorry, Sheila asks Hank, what do we do once we find Bender? And Hank says, whatever we have to. <laughs> Yikes. Things got real. Um, but before they can even start for the dragon's graveyard, Bender attacks, if I may say so, with a vengeance. And he's, I mean, 
attacking them in this scene. So much so that Eric shouts out, Venture's gone nuts! <laughs> how, how crazy does the attack have to be for the force of evil to be deemed nuts? Nuts. Yeah. He's barraging them with heavy strafing fire from the sky. And usually, you know, they, they do a little dance, they do a little weaponry, and they trick their way out of it. But here, he knocks all of them flat on their asses. Yeah. Like, quickly. And he shouts, he nearly kills all of them, and he shouts out, Give me your weapons! And he's done playing too. Everyone's done playing. And he seriously injures Uni. Uni is running for a cave. Oh, he even like, he's like, and your little dog, dude. Oh. He's just like, but he, he wanted to hurt them. Like, Uni's not doing anything, man. Uni's not he even just wanted part to be of a, this. He just wanted to be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, and he blasts Uni and seriously injures Uni to the point that when Sheila is looking him over later and Bobby says, like, how bad is it? Sheila's like, well, I'm sure she's... And Bobby's like, no, no, really, how bad is it? Sheila's like, I uh, I think it's pretty bad, Bobby. <laughs> I think maybe you should say what you have to say to Uni now. <laughs> oh, Uni, you were the pet of my dreams as a child. Um, they, they take shelter in a cave before the entrance collapses from the heavy fire from Venger behind them. Um, but Dungeon Master had also told them that to get to the dragon's graveyard, you carry the way with you. And they figure out that that means it's their weapons that can get to the dragon's graveyard. And again, this is what you were talking about before, they combine weapons. Yeah. They somehow ping the powers off of each of their weapons into a... To be fair, at least that part made sense because the weapons are clearly tied to the graveyard. That's true. It wasn't just like, oh, we can just draw magic out of them to do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, that's true. This is very much uh, a a logical progression to get to the graveyard. Um, And they sort of, I mean, I don't remember all of it exactly, but it's sort of like, you know, Presto opens up his hat. They they each do a thing. Everybody adds a little something from their weapons. And it takes him to the dragon's graveyard in a big old portal. Um, the dragon's graveyard, by the way, looks exactly like the moon. It's just a white crater Well, it's a different filled... plane of existence. Yeah. yeah. It's just a white crater-filled desolate wasteland. Looks a lot like the moon. Um, there are dragon skeletons everywhere. Skeletons. 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 Skeletons everywhere. But the interesting is that there are all these fallen dragon people, these human-dragon hybrid warriors, and their skeletons everywhere. And you wonder what the story is with that. We never find out. Uh, I you, think they're half-dragons. Do you have Dungeon Master knowledge of this race? As a Dungeon Master yourself? So, So there's two types of dragon people. There are half-dragons and there are dragonborn. Okay. So dragonborn are people that are... Uh, Descendants of dragons mating with other races. Okay. Half dragons are literally created by dragons. And so, uh, I think these were half dragons. It's like they're warriors. They're so they created come by them too. to do stuff at their bidding? Like, like I mean, they're, they're alive. They have will and sentience and everything, but like it's, it's their kids more or less. Okay. Um, if they don't want to 
I don't know why you would do that as opposed to just doing the whole egg process. Maybe that's a pain in the ass. I don't know. Okay. Um, but they would be aligned with the dragons. So I just assumed that they come here too to die. So it wasn't okay. like there was a battle between them and the dragons. See, or that's what I was wondering. I was wondering. If I just think they also had the right to be buried. There. I was wondering if this humanoid dragon race rose up against their dragon overlords and were wiped out or something. I mean, like that. maybe. <laughs> that's the way it is in my fan fiction. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't want you to have to rewrite it. So, but actually, I like your explanation better. Um, but um, the, but that's why they would have the weapons that was blessed by dragon power is because they fought for the dragons, for the dragons. but they needed weapons because they're human. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and and they all have weapons similar to the kids' weapons. Uh, Presto blows a big old horn that he finds finds lying on the ground, and that actually summons Tiamat. Um, and their weapons, the kids' weapons are apparently super powerfully charged in this atmosphere. Uh, they still do all the same things they did, but to the nth degree. Um, you know, Hank's bow, his arrows are extremely explosive now, and 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 Eric's shield, while still making things bounce on off of it, not only makes things bounce off of it, but explode when they bounce off of it and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, everybody's supercharged in this atmosphere. <laughs> that invisible girl is just really invisible. You can't, not only can't see her, but you forget she was ever there to begin with. Who? And you don't even hear her when she screams in your ear. <laughs> um, so they, they're super powerful weapons. They use them to fight Tiamat, uh, but eventually they stop fighting and they get her to tell them how to destroy Venger. Tiamat, very reasonably, agrees to tell them. Um, their weapons can kill Venger, but only here in the dragon's graveyard. They right. have to get Venger here. And that's very important information. Tiamat flies away, and Bobby is holding the now very much dying Uni in his arms, and he says, I don't know what I can do for you, Uni, except make Venger sorry. <laughs> And Hank says, Bobby, I'm worried about you. No kid should hate anyone this much. And Bobby says, don't worry about me, Hank. Worry about Venger. <laughs> oh, things got dark. Poor Bobby. And um, Tiamat eventually, you know, he left saying, you have to get Venger here. But how you do that, I can't help you. Yeah. And then he helps them. He flies. She. She, Sorry. He sounds, the voice that they give Tiamat sounds very male. They might have forgotten that Tiamat is But they always well. refer to her as a she. Yeah. But his, the, her voice is very the, masculine. The casting director forgot. They should have just had her sound like, That <laughs> <laughs> just scared the cat. <laughs> scared me, cat. Um, but so she actually flies to Avengers Castle and says... You will have your chance to claim the weapons in the dragon's graveyard. And she she opens a portal somehow and flings Venger into it and sends him to the dragon's graveyard. Too sweet. It makes you think, like, if you could have done that, open a portal to the sun and fling him through it, man. Like, that that was just nothing to her. And I couldn't get over how a second ago she said she can't help them get him there. And then she just does it herself. Like, don't you recall? I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) If you want something (laughs) That was the other half of that sentence. I always wondered, um, 
What is the deal between Bender and Tiamat? Why are they such bitter enemies? What's the deal? I don't know. I mean, even the the final episode script doesn't does not, really hint at anything dragon-related. So No, we never find out. Were they lovers at a time? And had a falling out, perhaps? Maybe Vinger's previous incarnation did something to Tiamat. Who knows? Um, anyway, he... He ends up in the dragon's graveyard. Um, I want to take a moment to to mention a few things. Weapons found in the dragon's graveyard that are not the kids' weapons, right? That One they don't take a sword that can split boulders, a splitter, <laughs> if you will. Uh, for those of you illuminators listening at home, in our Dungeons and Dragons uh, weekly game that we've got going, is that on, why you named your splitter? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> But uh, my character in that game came across a a powerful uh, plus one sword that um, I initially used to split one of my enemies in half, and I named the sword Splitter. Um, so clearly, that's this sword right here. Uh, number two, they find a javelin that can hurl bolts of lightning. And does that sound familiar to you, Brent? It does. That is, that is complete coincidence. Uh, in my last playing of this game, I acquired a javelin uh, that could hurl bolts of lightning. And all I have to do is throw it through the air and shout the magic word, Shazam. <laughs> It'll destroy all enemies I have lined up in front of me. So that's interesting. Um, don't think I don't see what you've done there. Retcon. I'm going to dress up like the Dungeon Master from now on. Yeah. And as soon as this Sonic Scimitar shows up, I will know that my theory is complete. It may. Um, also, they find this third thing. It's like a net thing. It's just sort of this glowing yellow net mesh. Um, but Sheila picks it up and says, this sure doesn't look like a weapon. Whatever. We'll get back to it. Um, Vendor appears raises the army of dead dragon warriors to do his bidding. And they do. And it's a rough fight because every single person in the fight has a supercharged weapon, mm -hmm. including the dead dragon warriors. And they give the kids a hard time at first, but the kids, of course, eventually prevail. And Presto, after they've defeated all the dead dragon warriors, Presto magically binds Venger to a boulder by their wrists. With these magic bindings, and good on you, Presto. That's impressive. About time. Yeah, and he's helpless. He's at their mercy. Hank draws his bow, and has Venger dead to rights. Draws back the bow, takes aim, and lets fly. And the camera does this beautiful thing where it zeroes in on each of the kids' horrified expression <laughs> because they can't believe they really didn't think Hank was going to let the bow fire and kill Venger. But don't worry, folks. He doesn't actually kill Venger. He's just firing to blast off the bindings at Venger's wrists and let him go. Venger sinks to his knees in relief and then looks up and says, Why have you spared me? And Hank just basically does the line that is in so many great heroic cartoons and TV shows and, and movies of the time period where he just says, If I had killed you, I'd be no better than you are. Which is false. But okay. What? How is it false? It's not evil to strike down evil. Is it not evil to who? Kill? How many people are they saving by killing him? They were not in immediate danger of Venger. 
Right, but you know Avenger runs around like subjugating entire towns and like all kinds of stuff. Like, what do I know about what Avenger does in his spare time? I don't know. I mean, they know they've come yeah, across all right, this stuff. I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, they do know. Like, it's you would think. I mean, even even sparing him because he's not an immediate threat to them. As soon as they let him go, they would have to bet that he would attack them immediately again. So even if it's just, I will only attack you if you're an immediate threat, they have to know, as soon as you let him go, he's an immediate threat yeah, again. He is an always, ever-present threat. Yeah. I and mean, the question you have to ask is, if we let him go, is he going to continue to do harm? And the answer is absolutely yes, he will. They should have killed him. So would you kill Hitler as a baby? Even before he's risen to power to do all the awful things? That's, That's the a little bit different. age-old question. No, the question is, would I maybe raise Hitler to be oh, less of a shithead? Excellent. Excellent comeback. Uh, would I go back in time to, like, 1938 and kill Hitler? Sure. Sure. Okay. That's a different question raise than, are you be... willing to kill a baby? It's like, there are other ways to avoid that situation. But you're talking about Avenger, who is already evil. Yeah. And is unlikely to be turned, at least to their knowledge. Right. And certainly no one has clued them into another possibility. And that's, again, how much more carnage is he going to... But it is always the path of the square-jawed action hero. I know. I'm, I'm going into this a lot because I've always hated it. Yeah. Even as a kid, whenever they're like, you're yeah. not worth it. And it's like, oh, of course they are. You've spent how many episodes <laughs> yeah. dealing with this problem? Solve, solve the, the problem. problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if you don't, you're the problem. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, he says if I had, we'd be as bad as you. Uh, we've beaten you, and you know it. As if that's yeah, that'll takeaway. show him. Yeah, he's not a bully. So there, <laughs> he's not like he's gonna go pick on some other kid now. Now apologize for what you've done. <laughs> I'm calling your mother. <laughs> or wow. maybe your father. Who is Avengers? Mo- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Dungeon Master shows up, takes that net thing that Sheila found, the glowing net thingy, tosses it over Uni, and heals him with it. And says, fear not, barbarian, not everything in this graveyard deals death, just you children. No, he doesn't say that last part. <laughs> he should have. But it would have been weird, yeah. Uh, and he floats on over. So so Venger, when he was tied to the boulder and when he sank down to his knees afterward, he's on a boulder that's like on this little plateau a little ways off from everybody else. Dungeon Master floats over the chasm to him. And they can't hear what Dungeon Master says to Venger. We hear what Dungeon Master says to Venger. And what he mm-hmm. says is, rise, my son. And you don't know at the time, does he mean my son in the sense of, this is like a priest saying, bless you, my child? Well, or if you're watching this show with son? Kelly Powers and Kelly goes, dun, 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 then you can probably figure out what it actually meant. I recommend everyone watch it with <laughs> Kelly Powers because it's the only way to watch. It's like having the best track. <laughs> but yeah, he says, rise, my son. What? And he sends Venger away with his magic. And the kids ask Dungeon Master when he floats back over to them, Dungeon Master, what happens now? And Dungeon Master says a very key thing here. He says, that is up to you, Ranger, but know this. You have taken your first step toward home, the end. 
And in the final third season, just as quick side note, um, there's also an episode where we meet this imprisoned girl named Karina, who turns out to be Venger's sister. Mm. You didn't watch that episode, Brent. But, no, I didn't. Uh, but when he himself, uh, uh, Venger imprisoned his sister himself. He, he fought her and imprisoned her. Because she's also evil, by the way. Not, okay. not a good sister fighting the evil brother. Both evil. And one evil tried to beat the other, and so Avenger imprisoned her. Um, Sheila releases her, not knowing that she's this evil Avenger sister, and befriends her. And she's redeemed by Sheila's sort of inexplicable constant friendship throughout the episode that is not deserved in any manner whatsoever. Yeah. But because of it, she sort of becomes good. It's funny because Karina... She's just a girl. Like, she just looks like a regular girl. But when she's freed from her prison, she goes back to her castle and she puts on her normal clothes and it's the Venger outfit. <laughs> Minus the horn. She has no horns. But then she does get the fangs and she does have the wings and the blood red robes. Nice. So that's Karina. Um, but yeah, she's redeemed and she becomes good. Um, Did they forget about Karina for that final script? Apparently. Because she's definitely not in it. No, she's not. But it's interesting. Um, that episode's entitled The City, the Citadel of Shadow. Sorry. Karina, by the way, was apparently named after the producer's wife, Karen. <laughs> Just a quick, I'll throw you in there, sweetheart. It'll be great. <laughs> um, this blood-sucking creature. Here you go. The, there, the, the, the Let's All Kill Venger episode, the Dragon's Graveyard, there was a huge controversy over this episode, apparently. I had the boys at the labs do some research on this. Yeah. They came back and they told me that, um, according to their extensive research, uh, that this episode almost went unaired because of the intense level of violence and the fact that the children intend to kill. That they intend to kill Venger. Um, it did end up airing, obviously. But the next year, in 85, the National Coalition on Television Violence demanded the FTC run a warning during each broadcast stating that Dungeons & Dragons, the game, had been linked to real-life violent deaths. I kid you not. Do they run it? Yeah. They continue to run it with the warning. Wow. It showed up in the end credits like a small warning. Oh, okay. Even though that's false. Well, I mean, there was controversy back in the 80s. I know, I know. All the Dungeons and Dragons shit is yeah. just like... Right. That, okay. That sucks. It's like a witch hunt kind of thing, but yeah. yeah. Crazy, right? It's like it's like with comics, you know, that whole thing with horror comics warping the minds of the young and, and we can't have that. And then they were burning comic books and they were, got this horrible reputation for the longest time all because of that psycho psychologist's findings that he grossly made up. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so every episode on the show, we take a look at these properties and we ask, is it worth another go-around? Brent, is this one worth a revisiting? I don't know that this particular iteration of it is. I mean, I definitely think, I think there's definitely something to the concept of D&D that could be done. Okay. Like, and to me, I think the way to do this is, uh, is almost like uh, Tropic Thunder. Have you seen that movie? I think I did, but I don't really... So it's it's these actors making a war movie, right, and yeah. then, like, 
they're like, you know what, we're going to shoot a gorilla right. style and make it real. And then, like, they end up having to basically be the really people fun. they are acting as. And, like, the movie kind of goes off the rails, obviously, because it's comedy. But, like, I really like that concept. And, like, the one thing that this does, like, it has the setting of Dungeons & Dragons, sort of. Mm-hmm. But they are never role-playing as anyone. They're always themselves. They are always themselves stuck out of time. I really would have liked for them to have been playing Dungeons and Dragons and been like, I'm the barbarian, whatever. And then like, it's almost like the Jumanji movie that just came out where it's like, they're stuck I like roles. the dichotomy between who they are and the role that they are supposed to play. So is it better for them to be stuck in roles they didn't choose? Or do they get stuck in the roles that they created when they were playing the game? I mean, I, I think the I, I, I would like them to be playing pre-made characters, so it's not like, this is who I want to be, it's who I am right now, like, okay. and they can learn from that, and, you know, you have times where, like, there should be some reason why they need to be in character while they're in the world, and it's like, okay, we gotta do this stuff, but then, like, every now and then they break character, and like, I don't know if I can do this, this yeah. is crazy, you know, that kind of stuff. Fair I think there's definitely, there is definitely something there. Fair enough. Um, it all, it, I don't know, this... That is the only thing that bugged me is that, like, I think that's one that is, like, the main takeaway from Dungeons and Dragons is the role playing as your character, and then, like, they never do it. They never really become who they were there to be. Like, I don't know. Bobby became quite a barbarian. He started as one. It's true. He was never restrained. No. <laughs> like, if Sheila became a barbarian, that would be progress. Yeah, that would have been very interesting. Or, uh, you know. No, you're right. Um, that's a good point. I mean, they sort of did it with the spoiled rich kid giving them a shield. It's like, you who always think of yourself, your only job is to protect others. Uh, yeah, exactly. But they, don't, they didn't really play with that, in, at least in what I saw, in the way that I was expecting. And they that gave is, the, the guy that was already the leader, they gave him kind of the leader position. That is an like, excellent point. And as you say that now, I would love to have seen, and I've seen all the episodes, there isn't one like this, but I would love to have seen an episode where Eric has to actually learn what it means to, to be, be a cavalier. cavalier. Boy, that would have been good. Like, maybe he has to, um, maybe he meets a knight on the road that he learns from as a mentor. You know, something like that. Yeah. Boy, that'd be good, yeah. Um, listen, I just straight up love this thing. Um, top, I, I can see why, as a kid, this would just be top to super awesome. This is, this is nestled like a parasite in my heart. I mean, I can't, I can't pull it out without killing myself. <laughs> There's just no way. Uh, I would absolutely love another go around at this uh, to to be done. Uh, for those of us who voted yay, <laughs> um, but even I mean, yours, not, yours is a qualified voting. Yes. I'm not necessarily voting yours yay. Is a qualified I, was, I was just yes. saying, like the I feel like the 2018 version should be a movie, and okay. you could do something fun with it. So that's what you would do differently. That's the next question is how would you do it? What would you change? Right. So I guess I answered the wrong question. No, but I mean, that's that's that's, that's perfectly valid way to go. Um, I have what I think would work beautifully for this. Okay. Let me lay this knowledge bomb on you. Um, I would have, first of all, I think this would make a cool movie, but I won't go there. Let's say we do a new cartoon series. Okay. I would have the new series follow the same basic setup of the original. I love the Haunted Amusement Park ride. It's so cool, an idea for me. Because amusement parks are a little freaky and scary. (laughs) 
Especially at night. And they're also, they're mysterious and weird. Yeah. But, like you said, I would like to find a way to tie the game more to the series. Because mm-hmm. there's no tie to the series in the original, to the to the game. There's just no tie. They also don't, like, they sort of had some, like, in the intro, they're like, that's Tiamat. They knew Tiamat's name, even though they'd just shown up. And I don't know if we glossed over it, because yeah. the pilot was condensed down to 60 seconds. Or right. if, um... They played D and D, so they knew who team I was. got. But I they got the never f- ever use outside D and D knowledge again. I got no feeling that any of these kids ever rolled the dice. At any like point. even Presto, even Presto, like maybe Presto might have been the most likely, but even he never seemed. He's to like never that. just like, oh, I remember, I ran the yeah. whatever campaign. Like, yeah. there's so many tie-ins you could have done too. It's like there's none of that. So that's what I would change instead of the amusement park ride, which I hate to, to leave because I love that. Yeah, but instead of that, maybe a Jumanji sort of thing where they're playing the game and get pulled in that way through the game. Yeah, um, the portal of the realms through the game, and all of this cast of the new characters, the main uh, main protagonists for the new series will be new characters, not just a reimagined Bobby, Sheila, Hank, Eric, etc. New characters, and the reason you need new characters is. You have them, when they arrive, get helped along the way by a new dungeon master who is haunted by a mysterious past and by the memories of these long-lost friends that he used to have. And this will be revealed to be Presto. Yeah, I like it. Presto has become the new dungeon master. And each of their missions, while being self-contained, have a through-line of... Looking for, maybe not blatantly looking for, but in the background, looking for um, these legendary warriors who disappeared a long time ago, who all turn out to be dead, who were the original kids. Um, All of them are dead except Eric, who is now an old, grizzled warrior, very embittered, (laughs) really pissed that he's still there. And wants nothing to do with these kids at first. Only very reluctantly starts to help them and protect them. Hates Presto. Yeah. Despises Presto. And they have to get over their conflicts with each other. Over what happened to the rest of the crew. To fight Vinger's kids. No. Not to fight his kids. To fight the new threat who is not Venger, but who turns out to be Bobby. And here's why I think the the villain could be Bobby because you saw how dark Bobby got. Yeah, you're right. He just wanted to kill Venger, and I think that could have corrupted Bobby. Does dark Bobby ride around on dark Uni? Yes, he does. <laughs> Uni has become a corrupted dark demon horse at this point. But in their quiet moments, Uni still says, "Meh." <laughs> I love it. That is how you redo the series. Um, I'd watch that. I would watch the show. Like At least watch the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Hollywood. Um, yeah, I would love to see. And I think I think it would be cool because the kids would not understand what Eric's problem was. They wouldn't know anything about these children who disappeared a long time ago. Yeah. And you just tease this out over the course of the series and piece it all together. It's an overarching mystery. I like it. Yeah. 
Uh, that's it, everybody. This was a long one. <laughs> Thank you for uh, bearing with uh, all those episodes I made you watch. Also, Kelly gave me homework. I had sure to did. read for this. Read letters. You should just be glad there was no math involved. <laughs> I think I'm much better at math than reading. <laughs> Yeah, I made him read that script. Uh, I sent him an extra episode at the 11th hour saying, No, 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 check this one out! And Brent just good-naturedly put up with it and did it all. Um, Thank you, sir. Uh, That's it, everybody. We'll be back again to once again review another gem from the 1980s. Um, Until then, you can send us your comments, questions, praise, damnation at IlluminatesPodcast at gmail.com. That's I-L-L-U-M-I-N-8-0-S podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Every week we mention it's a mouthful. Um, thank you, everybody, for presumably listening to this podcast. We haven't aired any of them yet at this point, but we will. And, uh, and hopefully we will get some letters from you and get back to you as soon as possible with your requests and dedications. All right. Uh, Until next time, I'm Kelly Powers. And I'm Brent Phillips. Thank you for rubicing your cube and carrying your bears and, I don't know, other 80s references. Carrying your bears? Oh, got it. Come on, man. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. So long.